Scripture lesson this morning, Exodus chapter 12. Our text for consideration will be verses 15 to 28, but I'll begin the reading in verse 1. And Yahweh spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be to you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month, they shall take to themselves every man a lamb, according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too little for a lamb, then shall he and his neighbor next to his house take one according to the number of the souls. According to every man's eating, you shall make your account for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You shall take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it between the evenings. And they shall take of the blood and put it on the two side posts and on the lintel upon the houses in which they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roasted with fire and unleavened bread. With bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat of it raw, nor boiled at all with water, but roasted with fire, its head with its legs and with its innards. And you shall let nothing of it remain until the morning. But that which remains of it until the morning you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it, with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is Yahweh's Passover. For I will go through the land of Egypt in that night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from man even unto beast. And against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am Yahweh. And the blood shall be to you for a sign upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And there shall be no plague upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be to you for a memorial. And you shall keep it as a feast to Yahweh. Throughout your generations, you shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. Even the first day you shall put away leaven out of your houses. For whoever eats a leavened thing from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. And in the first day there shall be to you a holy convocation, and in the seventh day a holy convocation. No manner of work shall be done in them, save that which every man must eat. That only may be done by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For in this selfsame day I have brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations by an ordinance forever. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month, at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the one and twentieth day of the month, at evening. Seven days there shall be no leaven found in your houses. For whoever eats that which is leavened, that soul shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel whether he is a sojourner or one who is born in the land. Anything leavened you shall not eat. In all your habitations you shall eat unleavened bread. And Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Draw out and take for yourselves lambs according to your families and kill the Passover. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin. 
And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For Yahweh will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood upon the lintel and on the two side posts, Yahweh will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come into your houses to smite you. And you shall observe this thing for an ordinance to you and to your sons forever. And it shall come to pass when you've come to the land that Yahweh will give you as he has promised that you shall keep this service. And it shall come to pass when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service that you shall say? It is the sacrifice of Yahweh's Passover who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses. And the people bowed the head and worshipped. And the children of Israel went and did as Yahweh had commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we again give you thanks for your word. We thank you that you instruct us in the faith. And we pray that this day that wherein we are comfortable and should not be, that you would come and and shake us and make us uncomfortable. And where we are in need of comfort this day, that you would indeed come by your word and grant us the comfort that it provides. Help us now by your spirit to these ends we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The reformer John Calvin is known for his association with the city of Geneva, where the majority of his years of ministry took place. But he wasn't especially popular during his first stint of serving there and went to Strasbourg, where he had originally wanted to go when he left his home country of France. In 1541, he was recalled to Geneva, and despite initial reluctance to do so, He believed his greater desire was to serve the Lord, and so he returned. The first emphasis of Calvin's ministry was his service as a preacher and teacher. That was how he saw himself. He identified himself in his will as minister of the word of God in the church of Geneva. For 23 years, he preached regularly from the high pulpit in Saint-Pierre to great congregations of people. Calvin not only preached on Sundays, but also on several other days of the week, usually preaching five times per week. Calvin was very concerned with what we now call expository preaching. He preached through books of the, of the Bible, verse by verse. On the first Sunday, he was back in Geneva in 1541. After being expelled almost three years before, the room was full of people waiting to hear what he was going to say. People may have been somewhat ashamed and they might have expected Calvin to reprimand them for the way they had treated him before. The moment was very tense when Calvin stood up to deliver his first sermon back in Geneva. When he stood up, he said, You remember three years ago I was on this verse and today we take it up here. He went right on to the next verse without any preceding comments. You know, nothing could have been less dramatic, but more effective at illustrating what Calvin saw as very important in ministry. With the practice of preaching consecutively through books, inevitably this means that we are forced to consider texts that we might otherwise skip over or to which we might not give much attention. Of course, this doesn't mean there isn't a place for for topical preaching. 
because that can be greatly beneficial from time to time. But a steady diet of God's people making their way through the Scriptures, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, is inevitably more substantial fare which the church, of which the church needs to partake. And as we consider the details that are here, particularly in relation to the Feast of Unleavened Bread, we might not think this is as interesting as the first 14 verses of the chapter, which we considered last week, or even care as much for the implications this section has for the church. Nevertheless, by faith, we know this is God's word and that, it, and that it's God's word and that it's instructive to us to make us wise into salvation and for training us for righteousness. And we're forced to deal with the text if we're being genuine in our submission to all of God's word for all of life. Recall that verses 1 through 14 basically recount the rules for eating the Passover in Egypt. And there are details that are unique to this particular event that are not rehearsed when Israel celebrates this feast in the future. The blood on the doorposts and lintel aren't repeated, nor is the dress and eating with haste. We also spent a good time considering what it meant for this event to begin Israel's liturgical year and the meaning of the various days and numbers that are specifically mentioned and their correspondence to days of the week and a day of the month and so forth. For instance, the tenth day is a third day of the second week. The fourteenth and fifteenth days correspond to one week completing and then another beginning. And so there's this movement from old to new. Another significant point which emerges in the first 14 verses of chapter 12 is the mention, is the mention of the congregation of Israel. This is a new designation for God's people in Exodus and is indicative of their changing identity from tribes or clans and into a community particularly a worshiping community. This, is, this was even reflected in the instructions for the nearest neighbors to share the Passover sacrifice when necessary and not just with blood relatives. Of course, the sacrifice from the flock, whether lamb or goat, was to be chosen. And that animal had to be male, was considered a son, and the display of its blood upon the house is what kept God's judgment at bay, is what causes God to pass over. The bitter herbs that were to accompany the meal were likely a reminder of Israel's bitter experience of slavery in Egypt. And of course, there is also the unleavened bread. No leaven means no yeast. And in the ancient world, you would take some of the sourdough from one week and save it over to the next and so forth and so on in order to have the bread. But since Yahweh's commanding unleavened bread then that means there won't be bread left over to make more sourdough. And what Israel is to be doing is cutting themselves off from the old world, from life in Egypt, and entering into the new world that Yahweh is providing for them. You may also recall that some form of sugar is needed to keep sourdough going, and if Israel is separating themselves from Egypt, you know, where's the sugar? Where's the sweetness to be found? Well, in the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. But that's not Israel's circumstance now, is it? No, they're still in Egypt, and Yahweh is calling them to further separation from Egypt. You know, they're, they're distinguished by the blood. That's the sign of separation. But here Yahweh is calling His people to further activity, to further obedience with the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, the Passover and Feast of Unleavened Bread are basically the same thing, though the Passover is a single night, as it were, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread lasts a week. But it's, but it's all related to the same event, the deliverance from Egypt. So let's begin to consider some of the details. Verse 15. Seven days unleavened bread you shall eat. Indeed, on the first day 
you shall remove leaven from your houses. For anyone eating leaven shall be cut off that soul from Israel from the first day unto the seventh day. Cut off conveys, conveys the idea of excommunication, apparently lasting a week. But what's the chief instruction here? Removing leaven from their homes. There's to be absolutely no leaven. It isn't just that they're not to eat it, but neither are they to possess it. And if we return to the point that we made about sourdough earlier, what's the implication? That they're not going to have any bread that would provide them with starter for leavened bread after the Feast of Unleavened Bread was over. Now, there was a way to create sourdough from scratch that was known in the ancient world, but it was a more involved process than simply taking some of the sourdough that already existed. By way of analogy, which is an easier way to start a fire? From nothing with, say, flint and sticks or twigs, or coals from a previous fire? Well, obviously the coals. But what, what, what Yahweh is essentially telling Israel to do is let the fire go out. You know, no more, no more sourdough, no leaven. Israel is not to take any of the yeast of Egypt with them because it's become no good. Perhaps we can make the case that when Egypt was under the influence of Joseph, that the leaven of Egypt was good. But now the yeast of Egypt has gone bad and Israel isn't to be taking it with them. See, for Israel to be unleavened means that they're starting over and they're going to receive the new leaven of the kingdom. And as we also noted last week, leaven isn't necessarily bad. It's associated with growth. In Matthew 13, we read that Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Or in chapter 16, Jesus warns the disciples of the Pharisees and the Sadducees which they later understand to mean the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Well, what kind of teaching did they impart? Well, instructions that were binding, that were enslaving, that put people in bondage. See, the Pharisees and Sadducees had become functional pharaohs and Egyptian taskmasters. And Israel really had become an Egypt. Now, we need to understand that leaven is a product of the land. That it's a product of culture. How do we know that? Well, because at Pentecost, leavened bread is part of the celebration. Pentecost, also known as the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Harvest. Uh, what was being gathered in? Well, the crops from the fields, from the land, the work produced by the people in the land. But what comes before land or kingdom? Sanctuary, or what we could also call garden. See, before Israel enters the promised land, what do they do in the wilderness? Construct the tabernacle. What was the tabernacle? It was a tent, portable house, a sanctuary that was decorated like what? A garden. So worship comes first. Sanctuary first, then kingdom. The land and the culture of the congregation, the, the enculturation that is to take place in worship, then gets taken out into the land, into the culture as God's people act as the leaven of the kingdom. But what's a further implication of getting rid of all the leaven in the house? Well, that there, there are times when we need to set things aside, that we, when we need to fast from them or cut them off, that we are to leave the old, the old world behind, particularly when we come to worship. And, and for us, every day, uh, every, every Lord's Day is an exodus, a new beginning, a cutting off of the old and beginning anew. 
But perhaps we do well to check ourselves and consider if we're bringing distractions with us into worship instead of setting them aside. Well, moving on to verse 16. And on the first day, a holy assembly, and on the seventh day, a holy assembly shall be to you. All occupation shall not be done in them, but what each soul must eat, that may be done. So is it okay on these holy days, you know, or even on Sabbath, to, to cook? Yes. You know, they had to eat, uh, but otherwise no ordinary work was to be pursued. And they got a week off from their usual jobs. And notice that holy assemblies, worship services, begin and end this week. You know, another confirmation of the priority of the congregation of Israel. Verse 17, And you will keep the unleavened, for in substance this day I caused you to go out, your hosts, from the land of Egypt. And you shall keep this day to your generations a statute forever. Now the text clearly says this day, which seems to be a reference to the Passover, uh, to the day that Israel was exodus out of, of Egypt. But we're probably to understand that the Passover day itself begins the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so the whole week uh, may be in view here and is in view here. And then verses 18 and 20, we get a bit more detail, though some of it was mentioned earlier. In the first, on the 14th day of the month, at evening you shall eat unleavened bread unto the 21st day of the month at evening. Seven days leaven is not to be found in your houses, for any who eat what is leavened shall be cut off. The soul, that one, from the congregation of Israel, the sojourner or a native of, or a native of the land. All leaven you shall not eat in all your dwelling places. You shall eat unleavened bread. Now again, we've heard some of this before, but, but the feast is, it seems to last eight days when you add it up, but then there's also this mention of seven. So maybe figuring out some of the timing we'll have to do on another occasion. But it's reiter- reiterated again that leaven is not to be found in their houses. And then in verse 20, it explicitly mentions the dwelling places. And you may recall the use of dwelling places back in chapter 10 and verse 23, where only light was uh, to be found in the plague of darkness in the dwelling places of the Israelites. And then verse 20 seems to have a chiastic structure. All leaven you shall not eat in all your dwelling places. You shall eat unleavened. So dwelling places at the center and then clearly states what is not to be eaten and then what is to be eaten is mentioned last. As a bit of an aside, the verb uh, eat is used seven times in verses 15 through 20. And you might recall that it was also used seven times in verses 1 through 14. So Israel has something to do. They're, they're, they're not passive in what the Lord is instructing them. And the houses are to be completely clean. You know, bread easily leaves crumbs. You know, you can find crumbs just about anywhere sometimes. But so thorough is the cleansing of the house that, you know, not a crumb of leaven, uh, not a crumb of sourdough bread is to be found. And why this is to be the case uh, may be a bit hard to determine, but one theologian suggests it's because God's house doesn't have any leaven. And maybe that's it. And this foreshadows the tabernacle and the bread that's found there, the bread of presence, though it isn't explicitly stated if that's unleavened bread or not. Again, hard to know for sure, but but all of Israel participates and notice the future, uh, the future instructions that are anticipated here or that are given. A sojourner and a native in the land. Now, a sojourner was a, a stranger. Was the, that was the term used to designate the, the patriarch's identity in Canaan. Sojourner is the Hebrew word uh, ger, which 
You've heard already in Exodus when Moses names his son Gershom, stating, because I've been a sojourner in a foreign land. And this sojourner theme finds its way into the Ten Commandments in regards to keeping the Sabbath. And later Israel is instructed in chapters 22 and 23 not to wrong or oppress the sojourner, for they were sojourners in Egypt. So it seems the sojourner will be able to celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread as well as the native of the land. What's the native of the land? Well, one who will be born there. And again, this, this telescopes forward, uh, even as we read in just a few verses, with the instruction to future sons. Now, as we come to verse 21, we have to recognize that there's a distinct time shift of sorts that takes place, that the story comes more immediately into the present given what follows. Of course, it's entirely possible that Yahweh gave these instructions to Moses on Nisan 1 and then immediately gave them to the elders. One scholar suggests that the plague of locusts then took place from Nissan 2 through 9. Then on Nissan 10, the Passover lambs or goats were set aside. Then the plague of darkness took place from Nissan 11 to 13. Moses' last conversation with Pharaoh took place on Nissan 14. And of course, the evening was Passover, and then Nissan 15 is the Exodus. Now, we don't know if this is the exact sequence, but it does make some sense. And we have to bear in mind that Israel had to be given the instructions ahead of time in order for them to make the necessary preparations and for them to be communicated to all of Israel and so forth. So verse 21, And Moses called to all the elders of Israel and said to them, Draw and take to yourselves flocks according to your families and kill the sacrifice of Passover. Now again, whom does Moses call? The elders of Israel, the, the representatives of the congregation. And they're to take sheep and goats according to their family and kill the sacrifice of Passover which could be a lamb or a goat. Verse 22, And take a bunch of hyssop and dip it into the blood which is in the basin and strike it to the lentil and to the two doorposts from the blood which is in the basin. And you shall not go out a man from the doorway of his house until morning. Now we can piece a few things together. The first being that when they slit the animal's throat and drained the blood, they drained it into a bowl or basin. And then the Israelites were to use a bunch of hyssop. Of course, a bunch... Um, doesn't, it's not referring to a lot, but refers to a reasonable amount that, you know, that's gathered together. When you go to the grocery store uh, and you buy parsley or cilantro or something like that, and it's tied or banded together, you're buying a bunch. That's the idea here. Hyssop uh, is a plant with relatively small leaves. And what function does it serve? Well, it acts like a brush allowing the Israelites to strike the lintel and doorposts with the blood. And notice that the Israelites were not to use their hand, but this hyssop brush. They used an instrument, a stick with leaves on it. Now, we're familiar with Aaron uh, and Moses' rods, this instrument that the Lord used in relation to many of the plagues. And here there's a sense that Israel also needs to use rods to place the blood on their doors. You know, why couldn't they just use their hands? Well, probably because uh, the hand would have been considered defiled in some form or fashion, so an instrument is needed. This uh, same verb, strike, was used back in chapter 8 and verse 2 when Yahweh informs Pharaoh, I will strike your whole territory with frogs. And then again in 12.13 when Yahweh says he will strike the land of Egypt. Well, the Israelites strike their doors with this blood, which is a substitute striking. Instead of them being struck by Yahweh, they strike their doors with the sacrificial blood. And it's in the house beneath the blood that the protection is to be found. And the Israelites were clearly instructed not to leave, but to remain until morning. 
and remain in the house until morning. See, the blood is the foundation to salvation. But there's a bit more here in the imagery when we think um, about the fact that the hyssop is that hyssop is specifically designated as the brush. With what is hyssop readily associated with in the Bible? Cleansing. David declares in Psalm 51, 7, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. See, cleansing is washing off the old and being made new. It's resurrection. And certainly we can make associations with baptism and the new life, the regeneration that it pictures and imparts. What's more, consider the imagery that we find at the beginning of Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So notice some of the elements, water of life, tree of life, fruit, leaves for healing. What is the source for the river? The throne of God. You know, what's some of the imagery here? Well, the river, the waters of the Holy Spirit coming from Christ in heaven. Jesus is also the tree of life whose leaves are for healing and who is all the source of fruit, even the fruit of the vine and his blood. The nations are healed through him and healed through the church as the church goes to the world. Or, you know, sometimes compare the imagery with Psalm 1 and see what further connections you can make. Verse 23. And Yahweh will pass over to strike the Egyptians... And when he sees the blood upon the lintel and upon the two doorposts, and Yahweh will pass over upon the doorway, and he will not grant the destroying one to enter into your houses and to strike. So you can hear the multiple uses of strike. Same verb used in verse 22. And the imagery is vivid. Yahweh will pass over. And when he, when he sees... Now what's that mean he's doing? Rendering a judgment. Seeing equals judgment. And what does he conclude when he sees the blood on the lintel and doorposts? Well, he'll pass over the doorway. He won't enter in. And not only that, he won't allow the destroying one to enter into the houses and strike. He won't allow the avenger of blood to go in. Why not? Because there's already bloodshed. A substitute, even a Passover sacrifice. Now go back 80 years to all the bloodshed in the Nile with the death of the Hebrew baby sons. And now the avenger is coming to reckon the accounts to shed blood for blood. And who is it that's going to pass over? Yahweh. Who's he? The covenant keeper. The God who revealed himself to Moses at Sinai and called him to lead Israel out of Egypt. Verse 24. And you shall keep this word, a statute to you and to your sons forever. So word has uh, been used often in Exodus and here encompasses all of the instruction for this, this ritual and the ritual itself and it's to be passed on to future generations. God's redeeming work is to be recounted and remembered. And it wasn't only true for the generation that actually went through the Exodus, but also applies to future generations. It's their story as well. It's their Exodus too. And then that's basically what we have in verses 25 to 27. And this is also part of the instructions to the elders of Israel, part of what Moses is imparting to them, even before the first Exodus actually takes place. And don't miss the implicit promises that are here. 
And it will be when you come into the land which Yahweh gives you to, gives to you as he spoke, and you shall keep this service. And it will be when your sons say to you, what is this service to you? And you shall say, this is the sacrifice of Passover to Yahweh, for he passed over upon the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but our houses he delivered. So before Passover even happens, what is Israel told is going to happen? That they're going to come into the land, the promised land, which means the exodus is going to take place, the Passover is going to happen, and the Egyptian firstborns are going to die. In other words, Israel you know, doesn't go into the exodus ignorantly. You know, they know what's going to happen. And as a slide aside, the instruction that they're in part is perfectly natural and, and in no way implies an, an age of accountability or something like that. Um, there are those who would use this, this particular text as a, and this exchange that we read about here as a proof text against Pater communion, stating that what's implied here is a certain degree of mental apprehension of what's going on, and therefore a child has reached an age to be able to ask such questions. Well, that's just a silly argument because the text has nothing to do with participation in Passover. You know, the son asking would have been participating in Passover for years. And then however old he is, he decides to ask, what's this all about? You know, I bet there are plenty of children here that have participated in our liturgy for years and probably some adults too, for that matter, who know what to do and when, but they might not always know why in detail even if they've got the basic idea right of worshiping Christ. You know, really, none of us can explain everything to the nth degree. There's mystery here. So the text shouldn't be used to try to prove too much. So how do they respond? And the people bowed down, and they bowed down in worship. And they went, and they did. The sons of Israel, as Yahweh commanded Moses and Aaron, they did. That's a positive sign. That's a good start and a good response. We'll have to keep reading to see how long it lasts, but let's not get ahead of ourselves today. This word that comes to them leads to worship and obedience. It leads to adoration and action, which is always a fitting sequence for faith. Verse 28 uh, seems to have a chiastic structure. They went and did, the sons of Israel, as Yahweh commanded in the center, Moses and Aaron so they did. And so all of this, it, it brings us to the brink of the Passover. And there have been 28 verses leading up to the Passover itself, which only lasts two verses. But we'll have to remain in suspense for the time being, even though you already know what happens. Well, what are a few final observations we can make in relation to the text today? In the first place, there are days, times, or seasons in our lives when we need to get rid of things, when we need to break things off with the world to cut out old things that might be hindering us. If it's something sinful, then that obviously needs to be dealt with, even as Paul instructs the Colossians to put off the old self with its practices and to put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And what are some of the things that he mentions that are to be put off? What leaven needs to be removed? Sexual immorality. That term encompasses a variety of sexual sins. He also mentions impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. 
You know, how careful are you with your words, with what you say, what you joke about? Does your speech testify as one who is Christ to one who's been made new? If you're baptized, then you're a child of God and your life is to be a reflection of that reality. If it's not, then get rid of the old and evil leaven and start anew today, even here in worship. Confessing your sins, partaking of Christ, that you may be strengthened for faithfulness and obedience to Him. Of course, sometimes we need to part from or take a break from things that are perfectly good in and of themselves. But perhaps we've lacked moderation. And so to correct that, we need to fast from them for a while. The easy ones to target are, you know, device usage, video games, or TV, social media, etc. Again, those things aren't necessarily bad. But what if they're getting in the way of things that are of greater importance? If so, then it might be time to get rid of the old leaven, so to speak. And these, these seem to be, you know, fair and clear-cut implications of the text. And something we might not want to think about. But since we're making our way continuously through the text of Scripture... Sometimes it rightly challenges us to examine our hearts and lives in ways that might make us uncomfortable. Second, and this is a familiar refrain, let's be reminded again that sanctuary comes before kingdom, worship before culture, adoration before action. Of course, this doesn't mean we aren't to be engaged with the culture, that we aren't to be about the work of the kingdom. to, To come to that conclusion would be rather dim. Still more, just because there are six days to which we give ourselves to that work and one day to the Lord doesn't mean that the Lord's day and the worship that takes place on it is somehow inferior or less important. Just the opposite. See, the other six days are rightly established and directed by what takes place on the one. Think about it. Israel is being delivered from Egypt in order to do what? Go to the promised land and take it? Well, no, not yet. That's still too much out in the future. That's not the chief reason that's given. The Exodus takes place in order for Israel to go worship, to have a feast with Yahweh. Now, doesn't that tell you something about Yahweh's own priorities for His people and what our priorities should also be? Those priorities haven't changed. And then finally, readily testify to your children their salvation in Christ. The exodus that Jesus has achieved for them. Received at their baptism and that continues to be signified to them at the supper in the bread and wine, the body and blood of Christ. Tell them, God the Father sees the blood of Jesus, our Passover lamb, and he passes over and doesn't destroy us on account of that blood. And it's, it's in Christ and the house that he's building, his church, that sanctuary is to be found. That there's protection. And why they should ever seek to be members of that body and never separate themselves from the church. Remind them of who they are as a child of God. That they belong to him and he loves them just as his word testifies and instruct them in these things certainly with your words that's a given but also with your actions particularly as you bring them to adore to worship week after week to participate in this service 
this feast of deliverance. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we pray that you would indeed impress your word ever ever more upon our hearts, that it may bear fruit in our lives to your honor and glory. And may we continue to come before you this day with thanksgiving and gratitude to bow down before you for the word that has come to us, the gospel that has come to us. And may we then also know of our calling to go into the world as leaven, spreading the the news of what Christ has done and his instructions for the kingdom and for the life that is to be lived in obedience to him. Strengthen us and help us and continue to direct us unto these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.